0: for our feature presentation. If there's anything we've ever done that I'm particularly proud of, I, w- I would have to say that the uh, perpetuation of the greatness of the Raiders. If we just do nothing but sit there and go 4, 24, 27, 32, you know, what we keep talking about upstairs is we better get four foundation football players. And we, we define foundation as talent and football character. That's what we want. we guys that love the game. And if we don't move up, down, or anywhere, Man, we better get four of those guys.
1: Now let's get down to town business right quick. The Oakland Raiders select
2: Cleland Terrell. Defensive end, Clemson. With the 24th pick in the 2019
3: NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Josh Jacobs, running back, Alabama. With the
1: 27th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, The Oakland Raiders select Jonathan Abram, defensive back, Mississippi State. With the 40th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Trayvon Mullen,
0: D.B. Clemson. And with the 106th pick of the 2019 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Max Crosby, Defensive end, Eastern Michigan. Are you that are you that guy number 92 yes. that's raising hell? You? Yes, sir. I'm ready. Yes, will you sir. come out? Hey, will you come out here? Yes,
2: sir. Yes, sir. I'm, ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm the ready. I'm guy, I promise.
0: Dude, I've been watching your tape all fall. I've been grabbing Gruden and yelling at him about Mad Max Crosby. Hey, I'm gonna turn the card in. I'm gonna make you an Oakland Raider. And I want you I want you to help me now. We got we got Cleveland Farrell in the first round. I'm getting Mad Max Crosby in the fourth round. And I'm expecting you to come in here and lead the league in effort, brother.
1: Hey Isaiah. Yes.
0: This is John Gruden with the Oakland Raiders. How you doing?
1: I'm
3: good. How about you?
0: You wanna be an Oakland Raider? Yes, sir. We're fired up. I'm gonna send a card in. Congratulations, man. Hey Hunter! Hey. This is John Gruden with the Oakland Raiders. How you doing, man? Good, how are you doing? Nice. Hey, we just made a trade in the in the draft. We're going to make you a Raider. You, you, you fired up about that? I'm fired up Clemson. I like it. That's great, man. We're, we're killing it at Clemson, man. We're, we're, we're going to bring in Dabo Sweeney next. Hey, Quentin. Yes, sir. This is John Gruden here at the Raiders, man. What's happening?
1: What's going on, Coach?
0: You remember having dinner with me last week? Yes, sir. That was worth, that was worth the trip, wasn't it?
1: Yes, sir. Great, great food.
0: We're getting ready to make our pick here in the seventh round. You want to be a Raider?
1: Yes, sir, I do. I love to be a
0: You're just getting drafted by the silver and black, brother. Congratulations.
2: Welcome back to Q&A with your boy Q and Joe Arrigo on the Silver and Black Friday, Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. All right, Q, everybody knows the Raiders have their draft picks, and those are guys that forever will be known as drafted by the Raiders. But then there's the probably the next most important part, and some people think it's even more important in the later part of the draft, is the undrafted rookie free agents. These are guys that, went undrafted, but a lot of players prefer that rather than getting drafted late because they can choose their situation and what's right for them to make a team. And also, in some cases, they get paid more than guys on the back end of the draft because other teams are buying for them. So it depends on your agent and how valuable teams view you. Here are the guys that the Raiders signed as undrafted rookie free agents. There's a few that stand out to me. I'll touch on them once we go through them. Uh, Alec Engle, the fullback from Wisconsin, who I think has a very, very good chance of making the team. Dylan Maybin, a cornerback from Fordham. Andre James who's an offensive lineman from UCLA. Lester Cotton is an offensive guard from Alabama. Tavon Coney, a linebacker from Notre Dame, also has a very good chance of making a team, as well as UC Davis wide receiver Keenan Doss. Keep that name in mind. It's a sleeper name.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronald
2: Ali from Nichols State's defensive tackle. You may remember him from Last Chance U. He played at Eastern Mississippi for Coach Buddy down there. Eric Asua, a defensive man from Michigan, was a mini cap invitee, as well as Nick Coleman, who's a safety from Notre Dame, and Cannon Smith, the tight end from Clemson. Uh, Koa Farmer, a linebacker from Penn State, signed as an undrafted rookie, as did the last two. And I want to talk about these guys. Keyshawn Nixon, a cornerback from South Carolina, a guy I know personally. And we'll talk about him in just a second. But Vince Papelli Jr., a wide receiver from <laughs> Delaware, he got a mini cap invite. But if you've ever seen the movie Invincible with Mark Wahlberg, his father is Vince Papel, the <laughs> yep. guy who made the team and became a special team. They played there for three years, four years. Was the heart of the team when Dick Vermeil first took the job, and he got an invite from the Raiders. I think that's a cool little story right there.
3: No, it is. That's that's a really cool story. Story when I saw that he uh, got that minicamp invite, I kind of laughed because we did talk to his father at uh, at the Super Bowl. You know, he's he's one of the guys that walks around Radio Row, and uh, I've seen him actually a couple seasons or a couple years now. And uh, this last year, we talked to him for quite a while. I had like a fifteen to twenty minute interview with him, and he was pretty cool. So just to know that you know his son now all of a sudden has a, a minicamp invite, and doesn't mean he's going to make the team, but he's got a mini-camp invite with the Raiders and all you could ever ask for man in this in this kind of industry and in this kind of job is, is is for an opportunity and that's exactly what he has this weekend
2: you know what and what I first thought of and it sounds really bad that I think about this his mom has to be the bartender that Vince married after he made the team that he, that he fell in love with. And she's a Giants fan, and Vince was an Eagles fan. So he didn't choose either team his parents root for. Right. And he went all the way across the country to the Raiders. True. But let me talk about Keyshawn Nixon. This is a guy from Compton, California. Keyshawn went to a, f- a few different high schools. Uh, family had to move around a lot. One of my close friends, uh, one of my brothers, I should say, he's a close friend, uh, Charles Ely was a defensive back at UNLV. Charles coached him in high school, right? and then Charles moved to Las Vegas. Well, Keyshawn, his mom moved to Las Vegas, so he lives in Las Vegas in the offseason. Well, Keyshawn was in Arizona going to JUCO, was the number one corner in the country as a JUCO, had a choice of any school in the country, uh, was close to you – know, he wanted to leave the West Coast to kind of get away and just do something different. And he went down and he bypassed Alabama, bypassed Florida, who were on him really tough, and chose South Carolina. Went down there, played inside at the slot. Also played outside. So he played nickel. He played outside his his junior year. And then his senior year, played exclusively on the outside and did a really, really good job. And I know Keyshawn personally. I've known him for about three and a half years now. He trains with my young son, Peanut, who's 17 now. So Charles was also training Peanut. And I'm biased by saying this. I think he's got a chance to really make this team because of the way he plays. He's a dog. When I mean he's a dog, he's going in there to take jobs. And he's not stopping until he takes jobs. This is a guy that felt he was the best cornerback in this class. He felt that there was nobody better than him. He's got a boulder on his shoulder. He already has one to begin with. Now you put Mount Baldy on his shoulder, and he's walking in there saying, I'm taking jobs. He's there to work. He's not going to not make friends, but he's not there to make friends. He's there to go in there, grind, and secure the bag. This is a guy that I think could be an impact guy on special teams right away and eventually become a key contributor to the Raiders going forward. I am really high on him. I know I'm biased. I may be blinders because I know him, and I and I see how hard he works, and I know the type of person he is. He's a guy I'm extremely high on in terms of making this team and having an impact, maybe even this year.
3: Well, I'm really excited about him. I, I don't know him like you know him, and I don't know you know him very well as, as far as what he could do on the field, but. Everything sounds really positive that you said and you described. And one thing uh, that I like that you said is you mentioned that uh, he can go in and, and and start on special teams right away and try to work himself up. Well, that's something that Rich Basaccia the special teams coach for the Raiders, has said that there's a lot of guys in this draft that also he's going to go ahead and and grab and, and use on the special teams unit because the special teams unit in 2018 was really really lacking. And Rich Pasaccio is one of the better special team coaches in the league. So if he sees some guys that hey, by the way, yeah, I know you're a, a you could be a good defensive defender, but you could also help out on special teams and end up carving out a little bit of a niche for yourself in the league. That's the way to kind of be able to to hold down a spot. You can't be a one trick pony, especially if you're an undrafted free agent. So if this guy could go in there, play as a defensive back, you know, maybe push Nick Nelson, like you mentioned, but also he could turn it to being a special teams ace as well. And Make a guy like Nick Nelson expendable because, hey, you don't do this, but I do. I could do multiple things where you can only do one. That's a, that's 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 the kind of player that you want to have. So if he could do that and find himself to, to, to do that, and I don't want to say humble himself because he's an undrafted free agent, so he's already kind of humbled, but like you said, have that chip on his shoulder and go in there and really fight for it. Uh, that could be a that could be a way he can carve out a spot on this team. And so it'll be very interesting, and, and I, I like that he'll get his first start really early this weekend in minicamp, uh, well, rookie minicamp.
2: Yeah, I'm reaching out to him uh, to try and get him on with us, um, full disclosure, but I didn't want to bother any of the guys I know on the team or even Keyshawn, for that matter, leading up to rookie camp. And I've told this to Q, and I talked about this off air, and I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. We want them to get ready because we know – There's a lot of things that's going to happen. They're going to be inundated with information. They're going to be inundated with playbooks and everything else. We kind of want them to focus on that. We'll get Keyshawn on a little bit later and probably some other rookies as well. We've already talked to the Raiders about that. Uh, They're 100% on board, so we want to thank them for their generosity. But right now, we definitely want to make sure that they get – their situation is in order because it's been a hectic couple weeks, really few months for them. We want them to kind of gather everything in and kind of get some familiarity and norm- normalcy in their lives at this point. Two, two more guys or three more guys that I really like in this group. First of all, is, is Keelan Doss. He's a guy that mm-hmm. a lot of people thought was going to get drafted. He's a major sleeper, yep. big wide receiver, outside guy, can really go. He's a guy that a lot, I think there are 18 or 19 teams going after him and he chose to stay close to home with the Raiders. Uh, He actually played ball at UC Davis. I really think he's got another opportunity – to really push for not only making the team, but getting some playing time early on as a rookie.
3: I do too. I think that Marcel Aitman better check his lunch. You know what I mean? I mean, Marcel Aitman better really come to play. He's a guy that I see could be expendable if Dos goes in there and does what he wants to, or expects to do. And again, he didn't get drafted because he had a pec injury and he wasn't able to do a lot of workouts for a bunch of different teams. So they just kind of slept on him and slept on him and slept on him. And then also when the draft was over, everyone thought, wait a minute, he went undrafted? He wasn't supposed to go undrafted. He was supposed to just drop. Well, he ended up dropping completely out. Like you said, at certain points, you rather just not get drafted. You know what I mean? If you get to a certain part in like the sixth round, it's almost, uh, ah, no, it's okay. I don't, you know, let's not get drafted. I, I can go and pick my, my own, uh, place in my own destination and that was the case with him man I mean having all those different options to go he decided he wanted to stay home and uh, go with the Raiders that was a team he grew up uh, you know idolizing and following and and really being a fan of so why not why not go and be there also he's a guy who went to the senior bowl and that's where Mike Mayock made his first contact with him so he 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 was able to develop a relationship there and if you look at the Raiders roster look how many guys they have from the senior bowl The Senior Bowl, they collected, and not just guys they coached, not just guys that were on their team, but guys from the South team that was actually coached by the 49ers, but they still had interaction with them, so they saw them up close and personal early. I think they got like five guys from the Senior Bowl. I mean, that's – that's saying something right there. That's that's pretty stinking impressive. One, that means that these guys are a little bit older, a little bit more mature, but they also have already taken on the coaching from the NFL coaches in the 49ers and the, and the Raiders. And so that was impressive to me that they clearly made impressions at the Senior Bowl and the Raiders went after those guys.
2: Keep this in mind with the Senior Bowl guys, and in particular, Abram. The Raiders held him out of the game because he had like dinged his shoulder. Yep. But Abram was on Kyle Shanahan's team and the Raiders still held him out. They knew then what they wanted and seen in him. I tend to think there was a little wink, wink, nod, nod, we got you. Don't trip to sit out this game. I don't know that for sure, but I do know they held him out of the game. So keep that in mind. And, and, and that's how most good teams do as well, especially when they're trying to build something they built through the Senior Bowl. But let me talk about one more of these undrafted guys. Kevin Coney, I think that's how you say his name. Yep, another uh, Senior the Bowl my, guy. He's a guy that I'm surprised went undrafted. He's a guy that I think could make an impact for the Raiders right away, especially since they didn't draft any linebackers. He's a guy that could compete maybe and get some time to back up and learn the system to maybe be fixed or apparent in the next few years.
3: He's a guy that is really that alpha linebacker that I've been looking for. He, you know what I mean? I, I was talking about going and getting a Devin White because, well, the Raiders hadn't had a real deal linebacker. He is that guy. Now, he doesn't have the, the technique of some of the linebackers. He's a little bit kind of, I don't want to say he, he, he's kind of free for all and kind of does his thing. He doesn't ha- He's not like the best form tackler or whatever, but he's going to get you to the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's one of those guys that it might not be the prettiest tackle, but he's going to get you down. He was a guy that many people projected to be second or third rounds. And I know that projections are only that. They're projections. But second and third round, and then he goes completely undrafted, and and they pick him up as an undrafted free agent. Again, like I mentioned, he was a senior bowl guy. He was a guy that they took notice of him there in Mobile, Alabama at the senior bowl. So the guys were doing their homework, man. Mike Mayock and John Gruden definitely did their homework at the senior bowl, and uh, Coney was a guy that they definitely wanted to pick up, and they did. Got him as an undrafted free agent, and I think he is going to have big impact. Him and Doss, I believe, are going to have big impact on the Raiders. We'll see what everybody else does, but those two guys I really have my eye on. Those
2: two guys and Nixon for me, but I also think, and I'm hoping for Ronald Ali. I I liked him in Last Chance U. He's a guy that worked his ass off to make sure his grades were in order. This is a guy that chose Nickel State over some other schools, and he went there and really did a good job, kept everything in order, and his hard work paid off. I'm hoping that he gets... At least an opportunity. I mean, I know he'll get an opportunity, but I want to really see him maximize that opportunity and earn a roster spot. I really like Ali. and again, again, this is from watching Last Chance U. I watch it every year, and I think it's just a phenomenal way for junior college guys to get exposure, and then you can follow their careers from that point on. And I'm all for rehabbing oneself, and I guess getting opportunities to, to have a rebirth, so to speak. And to see him in this position is really cool. And he, and there's another guy, Dakota Allen was actually drafted and he's another guy from that same team, the last chance shooting. So good luck to both of those gentlemen cube. Um, I want to know what surprised you the most during the draft. They either Raider related or non Raider related.
3: Um, I think that probably the biggest surprise to me was maybe Daniel Jones at number six in the first round. That was kind of surprising, uh, the Cowboys that they didn't go and get a safety early when they had like Taylor Rapp and Juan Thornhill was on the on the board. And I, I thought that the Cowboys really needed a, a safety, especially since I'm in Central Texas. And obviously a lot of people are talking about the Cowboys. Uh, that was something that I had on my radar, like, oh, they're going to go get go get one of these big time safeties. And they didn't go get that guy. They went instead and got a a, a defensive tackle, a guy that that uh, Ty Hill, I believe, that uh, has Issues with effort. I mean, that was that was my thing. He was a guy from UCF that only had one start in 2018 because, well, he wasn't able to earn starts in practice, and so that was kind of a a, a head scratcher to me. Like, why would you make that that choice? I don't want to ever have to fire up my guys. I don't ever want to have to tell a player, "Oh, you need to give more effort. You need to give more effort." If anything, I want to tell a player, "Hey, man, this is only practice. Pull it back a little bit. You know, don't don't hurt our own players. Don't you know? Pull it pull it back. Just calm down a little bit." I'd rather have to do that than have to tell you I need to see more effort. And that was the guy, after not having a first-round pick, that they went and got at number 58 overall. That was kind of a head-scratcher to me. But uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the draft that surprised me. I I don't really think so. Maybe the fact that Nikhil Harry went to the damn Patriots at the end of the first round like it was nothing. Just like, oh yeah, oh by the way, we're gonna go and grab Nikhil Harry and just make this team that much better. These guys don't even draft wide receivers in the first round, but they go and get this guy, and I think he's gonna be a monster for the Patriots. So that was another kind of surprise that, uh, or something that caught me off guard by the draft.
2: Mine is how well Washington did. That's one of the ones. The Redskins up, adding Haskins, the guy they wanted to trade up and get to get him at fifteen, and then come back and get Montez Sweat at twenty-six, I thought was a, a great job. Um, I actually like what the Arizona Cardinals did add Kyler Murray. And then you go get three receivers for him to to have around him, to pair with, with Larry Fitzgerald. That to me was like, what are you guys doing in the rest of the NFL? Like, don't let them draft receivers. What I don't like and what surprised me was the Cardinals didn't draft any offensive linemen early on to keep Kyler Murray upright. So there's that. I was surprised that there weren't more trades in the first round, especially in, in, up front. You know, in the back end, I kind of see Yeah, the it, back end, it, yeah. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, and, and then one of the things I really like, actually, and it was surprising to me, the Baltimore Ravens got fast. They got fast, fast. Not just fast. They got fast, fast with the guys they drafted. I mean, not just Hollywood Brown, but the other guys in the draft class, they can really go. And to me, that was extremely surprising, the fact that, I didn't expect that from Baltimore considering the climate they play in, you know, with the snow and everything. How is that going to translate, that speed translate into snow, um, in the snow in the acclimate weather late in the year? And the other thing that was surprising to me, and it has nothing to do with the draft, but happened during the draft, was the Tyreek Kill situation.
3: Oh, yeah, and I'm bad.
2: surprised that the Kansas City Chiefs have not suspended him or released him already, and how the NFL hasn't put him on the commissioner's exempt list, I think it is not only – horrific that he's still on a team. I think it is damning to the Kansas City Chiefs franchise. I think it speaks volumes to how Clark Hunt values or views domestic or child abuse. Look at the history of the players that have been there and the lack of discipline they've had. And I think it is sickening that this guy even has a job. There's a special place in hell for him. And quite frankly, I hope there's a time that he has put in general population and other inmates can treat him the way he treated his three-year-old helpless son. That guy's the biggest piece of crap walking this earth or even on an NFL team at this moment right now. So that was the thing that's most surprising to me. The fact that that asshole is still on a team in the NFL and they're giving him the opportunity to remain on a team until all the facts come out. When you heard the tape, everybody's heard the tape. You know it's him. They reopened the case. Do the right thing, Chiefs. Release this guy and let... Everything else fall into place.
3: Yeah, it was it was pretty bad, man. Those those tapes were awful, and it was released, you know, right there the, during the first round of the draft. It was really really bad, or even right before the draft, really really bad. Uh, it, it's it's awful, and what's worse is that uh, all the stuff that happened before that, you know, the fact that it took a tape for. You know, for everyone to start talking about it again. I mean, the DA had already came out and said, "Well, we know something bad happened, but we don't know what really happened and who did it, so we can't charge anybody with something." And you know, that at that point, the only person who suffered was the kid, and still, the only person that's really suffering is the kid. Uh, Tyreek Hill is right now suspended from like all activities for the the Chiefs while they investigate. Uh, they haven't cut him yet, and I think that this week the NFL is going to put him on the commissioner's list. At least that's what uh, Dan, Dan Graziano was saying. So we'll see if that happens, but I, I think that's going to happen this week. But still, it's just—it's crazy when you look at Kansas City and all the guys. They just gave Frank Clark, a guy who has history with domestic violence, it's, uh, over a hundred million dollars. Uh, you know, sixty-five, I think, uh, sixty-five million guaranteed. Uh, the, yep. Obviously they had the Belcher situation a long time ago and uh, they have other situations, you know, cream hunt was just cream on the hunt. roster. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many situations that have happened in Kansas city. It's just not a good look. Thank God they got Patrick Mahomes because if not, man, a uh, matter of fact, we had a guy on the, uh, the radio station on ESPN central Texas. We had a guy on from sports radio 610 in Kansas city and met him at the draft and we had him on on Monday and he was saying that Patrick Mahomes has been the best deodorant for that roster for the last two years. He has kept that roster smelling at least clean when there's a lot of dirty underneath it. And thank God for Patrick Mahomes or else they would really smell like hell.
2: All I'm going to say, and this has nothing to do with the team, but I hope John Dorsey doesn't make the same mistakes in Cleveland. Because both Hill and Hunt, and even though Hunt's still on the the Browns roster, but both those guys are drafted by Dorsey. Yep. I'm all for giving players second chances, not for guys that beat kids. Right. And in Kareem Hunt's case, I honestly don't know all the facts. I And if what he said was true and what the people say, I could see why he lost his cool. But that's still no reason to put your hands on a woman. But I will say this about Kareem Hunt. He's in the community, and he's speaking out against domestic violence. He's owning it, and he's rehabbing himself. I give him credit for that. Tyreek Hill, this has been a problem in this man's life since before he was drafted.
3: Yeah, when he was in college, when he got kicked out. Exactly. There's no way... That guy should be on an NFL
2: roster right now.
3: None whatsoever. No, no. And, and I'm sure that once it all shakes out, he won't be on a roster. And there, I don't think there's any coming back from that. I really don't. We'll see because he has a lot of talent. We all know that in the NFL, sometimes talent trumps everything. But at the end of the day, he shouldn't be on any kind of roster. And and, and I, in my heart, believe that he won't. But just because I believe it don't mean that it's going to be true.
2: No, I agree with you. And I, and I hope the guy talent doesn't trump that at this point because, God help the team that picks him up. Not only will he have women's rights groups coming after them, but children advocates as well. Yep. I don't even think Bill Belichick would sign that dude. Nah. To tell you the truth. And Bill is all for rehabbing players and, and helping them, giving them second and third opportunities. Josh Gordon, you know, which is a different situation. Right. He's all for it. I don't think he would touch them. Nah. Let me calm down. Let's take a quick one, bro. And it be our final break of the night. We'll come back. Let's talk about bass. Let's take the questions. We have a few more sound bites we want to play, including what ESPN personality said the Raiders are going to win 10 games and win the division? You'll hear it. You'll find out who. He's my uncle, wink, wink, when we come back on Q&A right here on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. Welcome back to Q&A with your boy Q and Joe Rigo on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. All right, Q, it was a big week this week, really last week when, when the news broke, that uh, Sebastian Janikowski, Sebas, longtime Raiders kicker, probably one of the funnest guys in the NFL, um, likes to party. I remember him from the FSU days, actually, when Bobby Bowden really looked out for him and let him kind of do his thing. Sebas retired after 19 seasons. I'm kind of sad about this because I thought he could still kick. I mean, I thought he could still play, but I think he just got tired of the, the grind and him doing the, the arm curls that he has to do all the time in the off season to kind of keep that kicker physique going. <laughs> so, Seabass is retired, and I think it's very ironic that he retired the same year as Shane Leckler. Right. You said, and you stand by uh, Mr. McClain's stance that is that a Hall of Famer, but is Seabass a Hall of Famer as well? And if so, do they go in at the same time?
3: No, Seabass, uh, unfortunately, is not a Hall of Famer. He was a fun guy, very fun guy. Uh, loved him to death. It, it's sad that he's not going to be in the league anymore just because he's a fun character. I mean, I even cheered for him when he was in Seattle for the one year. And I think the reason why he's retiring is the way that he ended his Seattle career. If you remember him trying to kick a pretty lengthy field goal and basically pulling a hammy. You could see him pulling a hammy, yeah. and it was just like, okay, that's enough. I mean, it's just it's, it's too much. And the fact is, it's Seabass. So it's not like people aren't gonna trot him out no matter what team he's on. They're gonna trot him out and say, Go on and kick that fifty yarder, go on to kick that fifty three yard field goal because they know he has that big leg and Ultimately, he's going to keep pulling things like the hammy, like, you know, whatever. And so I think that's the reason why he retired. He looked really, really bad when he was trying to get off the field as a Seattle Seahawk when he did pull the hammy on that field goal attempt that I was hoping he was going to drill. And he didn't. Like I said, he ended up pulling that hammy. And it just you saw it immediately happen. It just sucked. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to see Seabass go out like that. And I immediately said that's that's the end. His career is over right now. He's not going to come back. And he didn't come back. And the reason I say he's not a Hall of Famer is he was a pro bowler once. He was a Pro Bowler once in his whole career. And unfortunately for him, that's because the Raiders did a lot of losing. And unfortunately for him, because he did have that big leg, every single coach that he ever had, trotted him out there for 63-yarder, 64-yarder, 58-yarder, 59-yarder. Go on, Seabass. As long as you pass midfield, go ahead and kick it. You know what I mean? So his percentage of kicks that he made was less than what most people would like, especially as a first-round draft pick. The guy's percentage for his career was only 80%. And it sounds decent. That's a B average, but a B average is not a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Like a Hall of Famer is an A average at all times. He wasn't. And a lot of it is because he was – always kicking really, really long kicks. And again, he made some really fun ones and some really long ones. And he's tied with the record for the longest kick in NFL history. But I mean, that's just what it is. He's more of a, he was more of a, like a gadget guy. He was more of a fun guy. A guy, you know, had a real big leg, but really wasn't a super overachiever. You know what I mean? He just, he just, Again, was fun. He did things his way. He partied. Uh, he smelled like liquor and alcohol on the field. I mean, he just whatever. He was doing his thing. And so uh, really respect him. I'm glad that him and Shane Leckler go out at the same time because they came in at the same time and uh, really enjoyed both of them. Uh, again, Shane Leckler's career, obviously a lot better, a lot more production as far as uh, averages and, and percentages and Pro Bowls and all that stuff. That's why I think Shane Leckler will be in the Hall of Fame. But Seabass, he'll just be a, a, a Raiders hall of fame member as far as like a ring of honor or just one of those guys that the fans love forever.
2: Yeah. I I don't know. I think he could eventually get in the hall of fame. I just think he's done a lot in the NFL and honestly for kickers, he probably is the most famous kicker more so than any other kicker in NFL history because of his personality. And he was quite successful in his career. I mean, he wasn't like he's a guy that's 50 50. He hung around the Raiders for it was 18 years with one team and it wasn't like they were drafting kickers or bringing guys in. I mean, Chaka Vecchio comes in only because they wanted to limit Seabass's workload in camp, and then he takes over for the year. You know, it's just a point to where I tend to think down the road he could be a guy that goes in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he goes in if Leckler goes in year one or whatever. I I think down the road Seabass could get in. But, yeah, I'm going to miss Seabass. Like, what's your favorite Seabass moment? Raiders, non-Raiders. Like what is what is the the one thing that stands out to you about sea bass? Well, or my favorite
3: thing my say? favorite sea bass moment is something that I never even witnessed but I had told to me and only because the story is a great story is why It's my greatest moment, and I was so proud that he was a Raider when this happened. I'm really good friends with Quan Cosby. Quan Cosby played uh, for the University of Texas. He was a hell of a football player from a small city. Yeah, from a small city here uh, in Texas named Mart, and a really, really good wide receiver. Uh, He ended up getting to the league. He was playing for the Denver Broncos at this time. He was a punt returner, kick returner, obviously a wide receiver like you mentioned, and he said... And he knew that I was a Raider fan, and so he he told me this story just because of that. And he said, Man, I'll tell you, one day I was in Oakland playing, and Seabass had just kicked off, and I returned the kick and I was coming towards him, and he started to look like he wanted to try to try to tackle me because I was about to break contain or whatever, and then some guy came out of nowhere and got him. So he, he didn't have to worry about it. So he, he you know, it kinda seabass had that look on his face, like, Oh damn, I'm gonna have to actually try to tackle this dude. And so when Quan got tackled, he jumped back up and he kind of looked at Sea at, at, uh, Bass and he went to say something to him. And he said, man, I walked by that dude and he smelled like he just came out the liquor store. I mean, he smelled like he was fresh out the bar and he had that look in his eye, almost like his eyeballs were red. He's like, that was the greatest moment ever. He said, I almost got drunk just off the smell of Sea Bass. And I've had moments where I woke up the next morning after partying like, man, I still feel drunk. I can imagine that that was Seabass out there in the Coliseum kicking off, still half drunk from the party before the night before. I thought that that was just great.
2: That goes along on my, you know, arm, arm curl comment. Right. Um, my favorite, see, I have two. The first thing I think of is him getting in trouble for underage drinking at Florida State and Bobby Bowden making him run benches. And they asked Bobby, like, why is it all you made him do? And he goes, if you know Sebastian, you know, he hates that more than anything. And it's just some drinking. That that punishment is just fine. It's worse than sitting out a game for him because he has to work. But I think the second favorite moment for me was against Denver in Denver when he tied the record for the longest field goal in NFL history. And that probably could have made it by another four or five yards. To see the look on his face when he hit that field goal was one that I was like, I watched it, and I was just like, this does mean something to him. For the first time, I felt as if football meant something to him. It wasn't just him kicking a ball. And at that point, like, I already was a fan of his, but he became one of my two or three favorite kickers of all time. Just because of that moment, to see that joy and jubilation on his face, I really, I really feel that at that moment was probably his greatest moment on the field. That, you know, I, I'm going to miss Seabass. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's going to be a guy that's going to go down as a fun character, but I hope that doesn't overshadow the type of kicker and player he was, and I'm not a big fan of kickers, but he's one I'm a big fan of.
3: Yeah, no, he was fun. He was a fun guy. That, I mean, one look, there's not a whole lot of uh, place kickers that have jerseys out there that fans go out there and buying in, in in thousands and thousands and thousands. But if you go to an Oakland Raider game, all you see is number 11s all over the field. So uh, that's 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 just let you know how much the fans love him. So yeah, shout out to Seabass. He did a hell of a job, man. I, I was I was mad when they cut him last year when Gruden cut him. I thought, oh man, you're coming. He's coming back. He's gonna bring. Bring a uh, sea bass back. He's gonna keep him there, and he ends up cutting him. He goes to Seattle, and well, we all know he's banged up. He's older now, and so uh, everything is, at some point people have to move on. So uh, shout out to Seabass bass, though he had a hell of a career, and uh, you know Raider Nation will always love that dude. Absolutely. Speaking of a dude that everybody loves, well, maybe just me and a few other people, Mel Kiper Jr.
2: Now Mel Kiper is, I call him my uncle. Call him Uncle Mel. My boy C.J. Newton. CJ was my former radio host on my first sports talk station in Palm Springs KXPS Team 710. Now CJ is the imaging director for ESPN Los Angeles 710. And CJ knew how I felt about Mel Kuyper. So during our show in draft season, he we would take sound. He'd be like, Joe's Uncle Mel, and we actually had him on the show a couple of times. And we were, I would call him Uncle Mel on the show. So Uncle Mel isn't a big Chargers fan, so you guys know. And Uncle Mel really liked what the Raiders did in their draft to the point where he was on SportsCenter on Monday. And this is what he said when they were talking to him and, you know, the evil step cousin that was born out of something else, Todd McShay. This is what Uncle Mel said the Raiders were gonna do this next season.
3: If you had to assign a value pick to what Oakland soon-to-be Vegas did, where are you going? Not Cleveland Farrell, the the number four overall pick.
1: But after that, Mike Mayock and John Gruden did a great job. I mean, that pick was a reach. There's no question about it. I know they tried to move back to go get him. But to me, John Abram was the value pick here. I I like Brandon uh, Brandon Jacobs, who they got at number 24, the second of three first-round picks. But Abram is a tone setter. You can just watch this guy's highlights, and you can figure out what he is as a player. You can play him near the line of scrimmage. You can play him back at free safety. He's going to come up, and he's going to hit you, and he's got great speed, and he also will be, a I think, a tone setter and a leader for this defense for the Oakland Rangers. They needed a player like this to kind of become the face of the defense, and I think Abrams is going to step in and be like, I'm the guy right away.
0: Todd Ferrell, had he been a 15th, 20th pick, nobody would have had a problem. So you, Pearl's a good football player right. potentially. Not great because he doesn't have that ceiling as a pass rusher, but good player. I think they did a good job overall. Game of B grade. I think when you look at Josh Jacobs running back out of Alabama, I think he could end up being offensive rookie of the year. Now, you, uh, pushed me into a prediction yesterday. I did. You destroyed me. I did.
1: Three <laughs> and, times you tried to duck me and I finally got to him. And point. I made a comment yesterday that yeah. go ahead. after McShay kept Sail. jabbing, Loud and proud.
3: the was Oakland Raiders will win the yet. AFC West.
1: This year yep. or just in the
3: future this at some year. point?
1: You know, okay. you know, the Chiefs still play in the West, and the Chiefs the Char- an issue. Yeah, still yeah, have an issues. The Chargers still play in the West. Yeah, the Chiefs do Chiefs have some issues. issues. I'm
3: not yeah, scared right? of the Chargers. I feel like we that's mean. a big jump. Oh, and you got Hunter Renfro. Yeah, that's right. So wisdom. Any, 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 wisdom any, leadership. Wisdom he's... We have a leader on the defensive yeah. side of the ball. We have a leader on hey, the we. Hey, guess
0: what? They're, they're grinders. It. They're Gruden yeah. grinders. We're
2: good. Ten wins and winning the division, Q. Look, I'm all for great expectations. But do you think Uncle Mel's off his rocker with this
3: one? Well, I, I don't think that he's off his rocker. I also think that Tom McShay kind of gassed him up a little bit to get him to you know pump out his chest a little bit and, and, and maybe go a little bit higher than he really expected to go or, or say a little bit more than he really expected to say. I think he was really giving props to the Raiders for what they did in the draft. Think that they got a whole lot better in that clip you heard him say. They've added 30 new players over – Free agency and over the draft. I mean, they've added so many players that this roster is not what it was in 2018. You won't even recognize this Oakland Raider roster. And so he believes that this team has an opportunity to go from first to worst, or from worst to first. There's a team that does it every single year. So why not be the Raiders? I don't think they're ready to be there. I'm not going to say that I'm drinking the Kool-Aid where they're 10 and 6. I told you the other day before the draft, I thought the team, the Raiders were a 4 and 12 team, anywhere from 4 and 12 to 8 and 8. I'll say that after the draft, I think they're anywhere from 6-10 and 10 to 9-7. and seven. I feel comfortable with that gap right there, and that's that's where I'm at. So, I mean, if I'm saying 9-7 and seven is the max, he can go one more game and say 10-6, and six. so I'm okay with that. So I kind of get where he's coming from, but, I mean, there's going to have to be a lot of things go right for the Raiders to pull off 10-6 and six and, oh, by the way, win the AFC West.
2: Here's where I think he could be right. He said last year that the Colts were going to come back and win the AFC South, and he was right about that. And that was after they had a really good draft with them rebuilding their offensive line and getting the linebacker that was rookie of the year. He did a fantastic job analyzing why he thought the Colts were going to win that division, and he was right. Where I think he could be right, and where I think the Raiders are going to win a couple more games than what I initially thought. And again, i said say between 6-10 and 10 and 8-8 eight and eight initially when we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that was before the Tyree Kill situation popped up. Now, the Chiefs don't have their most explosive offensive playmaker. They're a different team. Denver, to me, didn't really improve to the point where I'm scared of Denver. I'm sorry. I may be the only one. I was not impressed with their draft at all, other than Drew Locke in the second round. So I think the Raiders could get a win against Kansas City, and I think they got a chance to get a win or even sweep Denver. And I think the Raiders are going to get a win against the Chargers, for that matter. I think the Chargers had a really good draft, but I think the the Raiders are in a position where they can compete more. I think 10 wins is, is the high point. Do I think it wins the division? Uh, No, but nothing surprises me in that division. There's always a flip-flop. I think the Raiders are in a prime position to make a lot of noise and do a lot of damage provided they stay healthy and Derek Carr plays the way I think he can and the way John Gruden thinks he can going forward.
3: I mean, it's, it's a lot of things got to go right for them. I mean, it really does. I mean, it's hard to go from four and 12 to all of a sudden 10 and six. And, you know, it's, like I said, competing for the AFC West, not impossible, but it's something that, that they have to really get kind of not lucky, but they're going to have to, a lot of things are going to have to go right for them. Health is one major issue. That offensive line is going to have to be a lot better. I mean, just because they have some skill players, they need to have those big uglies up front on both sides of the ball really getting after things. You know, The offensive line has got to be a lot better. It's got to pre- protect Derek Carr. Defensive line has got to get after the quarterback. Can't make things easy on Patrick Mahomes because Tyreek Hill or no Tyreek Hill, they're going to be out there and they are still got weapons on the field. And if you give Patrick Mahomes all day to throw the rock, he's going to pick you apart. That's just about any quarterback that's in the league. Given enough time, they're gonna pick you apart. So it's it's you know again, it's something that we'll have to see what they do in training camp. We'll have to see what they do in preseason. We'll have to look at the final 53-man roster, and then again, remember that the schedule is not easy either. So that's another thing that's gonna yeah. have to be uh, factored into this. I mean, they don't have just a cakewalk of a schedule. Remember, they got five or six weeks away from Oakland. <laughs> so they're going to really, That's really true. have to step their game up. So again, not saying it's not doable, but it's something that I'm going to have to see what they do before I'm willing to say, Oh yeah, here they go. Here goes that first, that worst, the first uh, type scenario.
2: Okay. So just so everybody knows on Tuesday, the Raiders uh, advanced to phase two of their voluntary workout program. That's where coaches, veteran players currently work out in Alameda, uh, sharing the field for the first time in this new year in 2019. Uh, The competition is going to intensify May 21st when OTAs begin. Helmets are on offense, defense, special teams. units can all run drills versus each other. You're not going to see pads until training camp, though, so don't expect that. Rookies hit the field this Friday for rookie minicamp. That's the first time you're going to see all the youngsters, the undrafted guys, as well as the guys that were drafted, on the field for the first time wearing the silver and black. And if you don't already know, go ahead and go to my Twitter feed. I have all the rookie numbers uh, what they were issued by the Raiders on my Twitter feed, got them straight from the silver and black. So I want to thank the Raiders who gave me that information. I mentioned Derek Carr a little earlier, just a few moments ago. And um, the Josh Rose situation versus Derek Carr situation, look at how both organizations handled the queue. You have the Raiders that said from the beginning that Derek Carr is our guy. Mike Mayock was on Rich Eisen's show. and am going to play the clip for it real quick and said, this is how we feel about Derek Carr when Rich Eisen asked him about it. We look at drafts and we see who's been drafted and say that this tells a story about a certain team. So as the general manager, does this draft of the Raiders tell the story that Derek Carr's your guy at quarterback?
0: Well, I mean, we're always going to do our, our homework at every position. That's my job, right? That's our job. And I have a head coach that loves quarterbacks. So we're always going to analyze and evaluate quarterbacks, but – you kidding me? Derek Carr is our guy. I don't think there's any doubt about that, and
2: we're ready to ride with him. Now, he made it very clear right there that Carr is our guy. We felt Carr is our guy. We're going to do due diligence with these quarterbacks because John loves quarterbacks, and it's our job to do that. But Carr is our guy. Conversely, the Arizona Cardinals didn't start taking calls for Josh Rosen, legitimate calls, until after they picked Kyler Murray. And they left Josh Rosen hung out to dry to the point to where Steve Smith took shots at Josh Rosen. This is what Steve Smith had to say.
1: Every team is drafted. We got six rounds to six rounds in the next couple of days. Guys are getting replaced. You are replaceable. No one. They, they say in the league, the more you can do, it helps your opportunity. So now you're mad because they brought some competition in here, so you're going to try to take your ball? Well, first of all, son, it ain't your damn ball to take anyway. So you just keep playing with your phone, and you keep showing us what, what the – stigma of you and who you were was in, uh, at UCLA. Now you brought it to the professional level to show us. You're still going to, when things don't go your way, you're going to cry in the corner, but guess what? They're going to ship your ass home somewhere else, and you can go cry and be their problem. Listen, yep. this is a man's game. Be a man and go against that man one-on-one. He gets 10 plays, you get 10 plays. Do your deal. Ain't nobody giving you nothing. Only thing you can get on this stage right now is a free ass whoop and everything else you got to work hard for.
3: Let's say Josh Rosen was still on the roster come training camp time.
1: You know why he won't be on the roster?
3: Because
1: he ain't got enough heart to be on that roster. He got to go out there and work his ass off. He don't want to work. He wants something given to him.
3: But he probably thinks, I don't have a fair shake because they brought in a new coach and Kyler Murray runs his offense. So in Josh Rosen's eyes, I understand what
1: you're saying. I get it, but... This is why ball is so fun to watch because you allow people to dictate what you can't do, but you get the opportunity to go out there and show them, I can do it. That's what the combine says. This guy's too short. This guy's too small. This guy's too big. This guy didn't play at a big enough school. So you go out there and you know what you do? You do like Kurt Warner do. You do like Brett Favre does. How is Josh Rosen all of a sudden different than all of the other hundred years because this is our 100-year celebration. I all love 100 years of all these other players that work their butt off, that have scraped and scrounged to get to where they are, to get the pinnacle of success. And he's mad because a draft, they have a draft every year, buddy. A draft is here, and they're saying that we're going to try to replace you. Everybody, they, what, are, what do we say during the season? Next man up.
2: I don't share Steve Smith's attitude when it comes to Josh Rosen. I thought Josh Rosen handled everything ideally. When he knew the Cardinals were going to trade him, he stopped following them on Instagram. There's no point in him following them if he's not going to play for them. He actually stayed an extra day, played in Larry Fitzgerald's softball game, won the home run hitting contest, and all the money went to charity and and was MVP of the game. Josh Rosen showed nothing but class during a time where the Cardinals really drug him underneath the mud and really took a lot of shots at him and didn't defend him the way they probably should have. Now, I've known Josh Rosen since high school, covered him. He can be an arrogant prick. There's no doubt about it. He's the guy that always has to be the smartest guy in the room. But the way the Arizona Cardinals treated him is quite the opposite of the way the Raiders treated Derek Carr. And you see where Carr and Gruden are smiling. There's a a picture I tweeted out of them smiling during the first day in minicamp. And, rosen went and nailed his press conference in miami while the cardinals are sitting left with egg on their face do you think this is a sign of the direction of where the raiders are going as an organization how they treat players or is it more indicative of the cardinals as being a bad organization arguably the worst in the nfl right now
3: well i think the cardinals were trying to be too cute about the situation i think they're trying to outsmart themselves and trying to be real sneaky about things and you know i heard reports that Kyler murray knew weeks ago that he wasn't he was going to be the first overall pick and he didn't have to worry about anything. He was the guy. Uh, matter of fact, the A's were about to ante up their money to him like to the uh, extent of like $18 million. And he turned that down for a reason because he knew he was about to be the first overall pick. And so, I mean, that that is what it is. I just think that the Cardinals were kind of trying to make themselves look as good as possible in this situation when it no matter what they did, it kind of made them look bad at saying they just traded up for a guy one year ago, and then all of a sudden they're going to go get another guy a year later because they changed the head coach. So that was one situation, but I think that the Raiders, the whole situation, the whole way that they've been going uh, in this draft process and ever since you know the season ended in 2018 is the fact that they've been open and honest with Derek Carr they've told him everything has been going on ahead of time he's known every move that they're going to make he's known all the free agent moves everything that they're going to try to attempt to do he's been in in the loop you know he's not There's not been any kind of oh wow hey that caught me off guard or any of those moments he has known what's going on he's already been working with Antonio Brown trying to get on the the same page with him I mean he's He's full steam ahead. I'm sure he knows that he's got to go out there and perform in, in, in 2019. And he knows that, that John Gruden does love quarterbacks. Something that Mike Mayock said, hey, I got a head coach that is very intrigued by the position. He's always going to want me to go after the position and look and see if we could ever upgrade. And it's going to take a lot to upgrade the position here in Oakland, but it's something that I have to do my due diligence on. I think Derek Carr knows that. So I just think that they're open and honest and, and everybody's on the same page and it makes things a lot easier.
2: I agree 100%, 100%. I, I, I... I think it's just more indicative of the Cardinals being a joke right now. As my former Clark Atlanta University friend, Bromani Jones, quite eloquently called Steve Klein, Suge White, when Suge White fires the head coach because the quarterback play is not good, and then turns around and trades the quarterback because the coach he has hired doesn't feel the fit between Rosen and his offense is a match. That's more indicative of the general manager and the failure that he's doing than it is of the player that had to be traded, which is Josh Rosen. I'm not a big fan of, of what they did and how they treated Josh. So for me, I am glad that D.C. and the Raiders are on the same page and know exactly where they stand, as we've been talking about for months now. And I'm glad that the quarterback circus is over and fans and quote-unquote experts can shut up. About Derek Carr being replaced by a rookie this year, it's not happening.
3: No, no, not at all. So it's it's good to know that the you know the Raiders went through the whole situation and everybody that was rumored to him, they didn't go and pick. You know they didn't. I mean, there was times when I'm sure Raider fans were holding their breath, wondering, oh man, are they going to go pick a quarterback because that's what's been rumored. Well, it just shows that what they said from the very beginning, Derek Carr is our guy. It it held true. Derek Carr was their guy, and moving forward, and now he's got to go out there and prove it in 2019. Absolutely. Okay, so over the weekend,
2: I put out a report on Twitter that said if the Vikings release Kyle Rudolph, their tight end, a team that potentially would be a fit is the Raiders. The Vikings are $1.8 million under the salary cap. They do not have enough cap room to sign their draft picks right now. Kyle Rudolph's making a good amount of money, not to mention they drafted Irv Smith in the second round. ESPN, NFL Network put up the same thank you, and Vikings fans came at me. Talking about there's minus minus 750 percent chance it happens. One guy said, "What does a Raiders beat writer, quote unquote, insider know about Minnesota?" Stick to uh, something. I forget what it was. So for me, Q, and I'm just gonna say this to Viking fans, Viking fans, every year you go through the same thing. You guys start off really good, and by the end of the year, you're struggling to make the playoffs if you make it at all. Every year, you focus on Green Bay only to have Aaron Rodgers tear your heart out for the most part. Vikings fans, Gary Anderson still missed the field goal against the Falcons to keep you up the Super Bowl. When is the last time the Vikings went to a Super Bowl? Didn't you finish 15-1 and one with arguably the greatest receiving talent to ever play the game? One of the best young quarterbacks, a dynamic running back, a Hall of Fame wide receiver. In fact, you had two Hall of Fame wide receivers and a very good wide receiver, not to mention your defense. Again, led by a Hall of Fame defensive lineman and John Randall. In fact, weren't you the team in back-to-back years that forfeited your pick in the first round that you slid down because you couldn't get your pick in on time? Let's not talk about the Love Boat scandal. Hmm. Yeah. So before you come at me about a report that I have regarding a player on your team, don't kill the messenger. Blame your poor excuse for a GM and his bad salary cap management that left you $1.8 million currently underneath the salary cap. So go ahead and enjoy looking up as the NFC North teams, including Green Bay and Chicago, who are already much better than you. Go ahead and have a surly head coach that, quite frankly, is on the hot seat this year. And go ahead and join your $28 million-a-year quarterback who can't get you to the playoffs. Have fun with that. Not to mention LeCron Treadwell dropping everything. He makes Darius Haywood Bay look like he's Jerry Rice catching the ball. Damn. So kick rocking comes to that report.
3: All righty. (laughs) and this
2: <laughs> i had to do it man and this and this
3: moment of of clarity towards a Minnesota Vikings fan uh, is brought to you by
2: <laughs> Yeah, no, I just had to get that out because it was just funny when it came to that. So, oh, cue. So Sunday, right? I sat and produced our intro. I'm hyped cuz Sunday I'm like NFL draft done. I like what I like what the Raiders did. I like what my favorite team did. You know, I'm I'm sitting here I'm I, I'm like I, I'm fighting I'm I actually caught the flu over the weekend ironically on Sunday. And I'm like, well, let me go and get some work done because I know if this thing hits me, I'm going to be you know, out for at least a day. I want to have this thing done so we don't delay the show at all. I made the intro and I'm like, Game of Thrones is coming out tonight. Hell yeah, this is this is it. Season eight, episode three, big fight, the long night. This is it. So I'm up, to and me, we're watching it. Man, I had to watch it twice. It was so good. Game of Thrones to me is the best show on TV and it's been for a while. And then I find out tonight that
3: you've never seen it? No. Nope. What are you doing, living underneath a rock? No, I'm working. <laughs> I'm working <laughs> all the time. I'm working all the time. If it's not on the radio, it's not doing a podcast. It's at a sporting event, or it's doing something else sports related, or it's something else sports related, or I'm watching a game, or you know what I mean? It's like, Doc, that's all I do. Or I'm on the on the podcast doing a show on a late night with Joe, and it's like. Almost Dang. three hours long. So, I mean, I'm not watching shows. I'm doing, I'm doing work. You know what I mean? Hell, my family don't even know what I look like.
2: Well, yeah, I apologize for, for these shows. <laughs> we have so much content,
3: but no, I was going to
2: say we should take Game of Thrones characters and place them with Raiders coaches and players. Because I think it would be the kind of like the, the right thing to do considering it's the last season of Game of Thrones, but I can't do that now. My, bad. So my boy hasn't watched the damn
3: show. Never, never. Hey, look, man, I'll tell you, the shows that I watch, I mean, and look, and I just got direct TV, so now I got Sunday tickets, so I'm really good to go. But, man, I, I watch ESPN, and I watch NFL Network. And occasionally I watch Fox Sports. And I'll even watch now on DirecTV, I'll watch the the whole little sports blend where it's like six or eight channels that you can have on at the same time on the TV. I'll right. watch them all, and I'll just change the volume on some of them every once in a while. I mean, that's just what I do. And if I'm not doing that, I'm at the job. And if I'm not at the job, I'm working somewhere else at some kind of sporting event doing something. Like, literally, my life is all 100%, and I know this is not good, but it's 100% focused on just work, 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 go, 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 go. Something work related at all times. If it's podcast related, if it's the show related, if it's sporting event related, if it's travel related. I mean, it's always got something to do with some form of sports and 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 watching, you know, watching stuff that has to do with the job. And that's 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 all I do. That's all I do. I look, let's put it like this. I was watching on Netflix for a quick minute because there was no sporting event on. I was watching Blacklist with the wife. And I thought I came to work the next day after watching like six or seven episodes of Blacklist. I came on the show and I was telling my co-host, I was like, dog, I found this brand new show. That's awesome. And I don't and they all know that I don't do shows that often. So they're like, oh, wow, you found a show. And I said, yeah, Blacklist. And everybody died laughing. They're like, dog, that's not new. It's like five or six seasons old. And I thought. Oh, damn. So now I stopped watching it because it's old. But, yeah, it was like five or six. Once I did research, I realized I was like five or six seasons behind. And then I just said, oh, well, I'm good. I don't need to watch it then. So, well,
2: see, full disclosure, I had never watched an episode of Game of Thrones until last August. And my roommate at the time, we were we were chilling one, I think it was like a, a, a Sunday night, and we watched Power. And I had, like, I watched Power sporadically, but he put on Game of Thrones. And I'm like, what, man, why are you watching dragons and stuff? I want to see this. He goes, have you ever seen that? I said, no. I watched dragons and wizards. He goes, no. You need to watch it. So I went back and watched the first episode, season one, episode one, and was hooked. From that moment, that episode on, I literally spent that Sunday while I was working at, you know, at home, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I got caught up on all seven seasons. That's all I watched. And I do not regret it one bit. I honestly can tell you this, Q, I do need an escape from sports sometimes. For me, I put that on to kind of just kind of like decompress and kind of just uh, kind of breathe for a moment and kind of get lost where I don't have to think about sports. And to me, it is the most well-put-together show in the history of television. It is basically a 10-hour movie they shoot, and they've done it now for eight years. And you never know who's going to get killed, especially in the first seven seasons. The main characters get killed when you least expect it. So it's just one of those things where I am truly enthralled in it now. And I'm not going to give any spoilers out because that's not how I'm going to do it. But I'm truly going to be sad when this show is over. This show parallels sports in so many ways. It's ridiculous. I implore you, brother, when you take some time off, now that you just got direct TV, they're going to give you a bunch of stuff for free. Just go on demand and... And watch a few episodes and tell me what it's say. Like. Don't watch the new ones because it's hard to understand if you just pick them up late. Start from the first one and it's hilarious. And you're going to love a dude named Tyron. I guarantee it. Tyron's a midget. Peter Dunkel. You're going to love that dude. Hilarious.
3: Well, we'll see. Don't bet no money that I end up doing it. I'm telling you. Don't I'm do not, it.
2: I'm not going to. I know you're not. <laughs> I know you're not. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just asking you to because, you know, we're family and I figured that, hey, you know, you at least listen to Brother Joe.
3: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> But, uh, you know, like I said, at the house, man, nobody gets to watch anything. The kids, the, ha- the the wife, they're all happy when I'm gone out of town because then they get to watch TV. When I'm in town, then it's all sports all the time. Okay.
2: Well, now we're to the final part of the show, which is we're answering your questions, our listeners' questions. And please send Game of Thrones questions my way, too. we got to get Q hooked on it. So the first question actually coming in, Q, was a question that just got emailed to us by a Raider YouTube caster, podcaster, Raider Knight, they have the Will to Win podcast. Um, Knight's a great dude. He actually lives in Fresno, hung out with m- um not too long ago. And he sent a question. He goes, I hope it's not too late. I could have texted you this. But he said, what are our thoughts on the front seven of the defense? It's going to be fun watching the second-year players and their growth alongside these young new booties mixed in with some veteran linebackers.
3: Did he say new what booties?
2: New booties, he said. Is
3: that what he said? He got that from me. That is my That is my <laughs> term right there. He got that from me. That's he- awesome. The exact question is, quote, it's going to be fun watching these second-year players and their
2: growth alongside these young new booties mixed in with some veteran linebackers, end quote.
3: Hell yeah, that's my term right there. He got that from me. That's that's what I'm talking about. Yes, I'm an <laughs> influence. Uh, that's a good question. That's a really good question, man. That that is going to be very interesting to see that uh, that front seven. It's going to be very interesting to see how a guy like Mo Hurst develops. You know, can P.J. Hall step up and be the guy that he was expected when they drafted him in the second round? You know, a lot of people thought that that was a reach. A guy out of a young guy out of Sam Houston State. Uh, usually doesn't go that high, but they grabbed him in the second round. He's got to step up. You know, he was really injured a lot in uh, his rookie year, so he's going to stay healthy. He's got to be uh, more physical. He's just got to be better. So it's going to start there. I mean, they didn't go get Quentin Williams. They didn't go get Ed Oliver. They didn't get uh, anybody uh, to, to get that push right up there up the gut uh, any of the big time guys. You know, they went and got Cleveland Farrell. Farrell, I think, is going to be really, really good. But again, your outside is only as good as your inside is. So if you can get that interior push, then a guy like Farrell could be really good. Maybe a guy like Arden Key could step up, or maybe a guy like Mad Max steps up. You know, who knows? Who, who knows who's going to be that uh, that other edge uh, coming off, you know, getting after the quarterback. But that will be very interesting. Now, one thing, and I'm not a big van- fan of Vontae Burford. Everybody knows that. But he does know Paul Gunther's uh, defense. And one thing Paul Gunther said is that we are very vanilla in 2018 because people didn't know my scheme. Burfitt knows his scheme and can get guys in and out of plays and can get guys lined up correctly. So with him being there, hopefully he stays healthy and he's able to be there and he can help these new booties like uh, like, like my man's talking about. He, he can help them get lined up, get in the correct, uh, you know, uh, alignment for the scheme, and, and so they can develop and, and get better. So, uh, you know, you got Brandon Marshall on one side, you got to Whitehead on another side. Obviously, uh, Nicholas Morrow is going to be a, a a backup for now, and, and there's other there's some other backups at the linebacker position. But you have an opportunity to be really good. The front seven does have an opportunity to be really good. You have to hope that Vontaze Burfitt doesn't go and do anything crazy and he stays healthy so he can help get these guys lined up the way Paul Gunther wants them to. So I guess in a roundabout way without really ever answering the question, it all really (laughs) depends on how these guys develop. You know what I'm saying? Like it really all develops uh, or depends on how these guys, you know, take to the learning in year two, you know, and, and I think it starts with Mohurst and P.J. Hall right there in the middle. Obviously, Jonathan Hankins is going to be there as well. He was re-signed in the offseason. So, uh, may the best man win in the middle, but Mohurst is going to really have to be an impactful guy in year two.
2: I agree. I think the middle has to free up the linebackers, but having Perfect there to be the the communication man, so to speak, is, is huge. Um, I definitely think that Perfect is the perfect fit right now since he has that experience in the system. I also think that at the end of the day, um, keep an eye on Kone. Kone is going to be a guy, man, that I think is going to make an impact. And it all comes down to how quickly he puts two and two together in this defense. And if he can get it together right, that linebacker group is going to be really good. And I think, again, a good pass rush is going to help everybody out. Whether or not it's coming from Farrell, whether or not it's coming from Hurst, or Jelly, or Hankins, or Hall, or King, or Mad Max, or my man Quentin Bell. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. As long as that pass rush is there, that's going to help out because those corners are going to be able to make plays on the back end, and those linebackers are going to be free to do what they need to do. It's going to be fun to watch this young group develop. I'd like to see a little more youth now going forward added to that Raiders linebacking core. I think that would be a target really, really looking ahead next year In the draft, that would be a target. It would be a linebacker early on next year. But for the most part, I really think that this Raiders group, this front seven, is light years better than what they were when the season ended.
3: Yeah, no, they are. And, and again, man, they only had 13 uh, sacks in 2018. I, I'm expecting the Raiders to have, like, minimum close to 30 sacks in 2019. I really am. They need, to, they need to at least double it. I mean, 26, and that still would probably be uh, last in the league in 2018. They need to be around 30 at least to show that they're developing and got that improvement.
2: Absolutely. Let's go to the next question. James T. He says, uh, quote, do you guys think – there are any veterans that the Raiders will now pursue as well. If so who do you think will it will be and what positions are still needing the attention? End quote. You know, I think the only guy veteran-wise right now that's on the market that would make any sense is Ziggy Ansah, the defensive end from uh, the, the Lions. I think he'd be a guy that the Raiders would kind of really consider because of the lack of, well, not the lack of depth anymore, but because what he could bring as far as sacks to the defensive line um, he's coming off, I believe it's a shoulder. Yeah, he's surgery. not.
3: He's not going to be healthy. He's not going to be cleared until mid-August, and so I'm, I, I, it's a hard pass with me on, on Ziggy just because he's not going to be healthy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would, if he's not signed, I would take a look in August. I mean, let's see what he let's see what he what he's about. Um, because again, you have to be sold on Arden Key being the guy that can get to the quarterback opposite of Farrell at least this year in order for you to pass on him. Unless you think Max or Bell is going to come in. And light it on fire. So that's one I would consider. And then I wait and see if there's any any linebackers or receivers. I mean, really, you really don't need a receiver. A tight end, I think maybe. If they, if, again, if Rudolph is released, uh, he'd be a guy. I'll, if I'm the Raiders, I'll make a call immediately to, and try to get him on a one-year deal. To try if you can see if you can get him locked in for any extended period of time. Um, he's highly productive, and he's he's a stud tight end. The guy's done damage against everybody he plays against. He's remained fairly healthy throughout his career. Uh, those would be the two guys, to me, that stand out. But there really isn't anybody else. I mean, maybe Eric Berry, but why would you see no. him now with Abram and Cujo there? So yeah. I don't think that that's, that's even the case at all.
3: No, no, I'm passing on Eric Berry as well. I, I feel like his better days are behind him, and uh, I, I just don't think that the Raiders need to add that to their – to their back end of their secondary, I'd look at a guy like Shane Ray, and I know he went in and visited the Raiders already, but he's still unsigned. He's a really young dude still. I would go and uh, give him a one-year deal and and let him go out there and battle it out and, and and see what he could do. He was a first-round draft pick at one time by Denver, and uh, you know he had some kind of ability, so he might go in there have a, a chip on his shoulder, want to prove something, want to prove that uh, you know he was worth that first-round pick back in the day, and uh, and not, I say back of the day it wasn't that long ago, it was just a few years ago, he could be that guy and maybe he's going to be playing for a big contract or not with the Raiders but with another team so he might be able to go in there and contribute. That's one guy I'd look at. I'd look at Jamie Collins, the guy who was released from the Browns. Uh he he could play. He's a veteran that knows the the, the position. Uh you know, he can yep. he, he could be a linebacker. He can uh you know, put his hand in the dirt be a DN if he had to. I mean, he he's he's a versatile dude and he's already made a lot of money. So who knows? Uh, you know, who knows what kind of money he'd be looking for. That's another guy I'd look at. And I will say there's one other guy that I would look at depending on the situation. And this is something that, that actually, yeah, this is going to be something right here. I'm pulling a name out the past. Uh, this is something that actually popped up over the weekend while I was at the draft. And I tweeted about it and I got a lot of response about it. And I know some people won't uh, agree with me at all. Uh, I know Kevin Wynn won't agree with me at all. And that's fine. That's okay. I have no problem with that. Um, if I'm John Gruden and Mike Mayock, I would sit Marquette King down. I'd bring him in and sit him down and talk to him. I absolutely would. See where his head is. I I mean, hey, you ain't got to sign him, and you ain't got to give him a lot of money if you do sign him. But I think it would be very helpful and very smart as far as your team goes to bring him in and see where his head is. He seems like he's a guy who's been humbled. He put out a statement over the weekend talking about being sorry, and he misses Raider Nation and wishes he was a member of the Raiders, and was well, sorry for being a goof, and the reason why John Gruden, uh, you know, cut him. Maybe if he sits down with Gruden and, and Mayock, and you know, they come to they have a come to Jesus meeting, and they say, hey, this is not acceptable on the field. You can't be getting no fifteen yard penalties, but you have a hell of a leg that we could use. He's still a young dude. I wouldn't mind giving him a shot because Johnny Townsend sucks. Johnny Townsend well, is awful. I, I agree with you. I would let them two compete. True. Let them
2: co- compete. the The best one wins. What Townsend is really good at is directional kicking, but that's not the Raider way. They like dudes like Ray Guy, like Leckler, like King, guys that could boom the ball. Exactly. And I, I I would love Marquette King to be a Raider. He was. I love Marquette King. I ain't gonna front. I I, I, lo- I love everything about him. I don't like the fifteen yard penalties, but I love he's out there doing his little hitting the folks and and just doing this thing. I think that's dope. I would love Marquette King back on the Raiders, and that would be a definite, definite call I would make to sit him down. I agree for a come-to-Jesus meeting. I didn't even think about that.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, just, it, it can't hurt. I mean, again, if you sit down and talk to him and you say, you know what, this dude hasn't learned, he's not humbled, fine, send him on his way. It's all. It, it ain't going to hurt. If you say, okay, we'll get, we'll sign you. You can compete with Johnny. If you win, you win. But this is what the money is. It's not. It's nothing major. And if he wants to play for that and he's humbled and just wants to be a Raider and wants to be in the league because currently he's not, then cool. So be it. The dude's got a hell of a leg. He can boom. Like you said, he can boom it. We all know that. And the Raiders need that. Need help. They need help in that position. Johnny Townsend is not the guy. But, again, if he's willing to compete for it, so be it. Look, everyone says that, oh, he's a goof, and he talked bad about John Gruden, and he made videos about him. And, the Hey, man, look, he was a young cat that was living in the fast lane as a hot shot punter that was getting, you know, that was being able to go out there and do his thing. Like you said, you liked it. You liked it. You enjoyed what he was doing. He was just, he was that dude. He's been humbled. At some point, most grown men become humbled at some point. I know when I was 23, I wasn't the same as I am now at 42. You know what I mean? Like there's a big difference between young Q and older Q. I guarantee some things I did at 23 wouldn't be like, oh, that's great. We're so glad that Q's part of this company. No, but now I'm a little bit smarter. A little bit. I say a little. And, you know, I'm I'm, <laughs> a, I'm good. You know, it's like so I think that there could be an opportunity. And for everyone who says that, oh, no, he's he's too much of a clown. Man, look at yourself in the mirror and tell me that at some point in your life you weren't a clown. Oh, dude, look,
2: I, I tend to think that by him even doing that shows great maturity and, and, and contrition on his part. I don't have any problem with Marquette King. I think he was hurt. The Raiders cut him. I think he was looking forward to playing for Coach Gruden. And when they cut him and released him, I think he was hurt. And I think that's the reason why he signed with Denver was to out-punt the Raiders for two games out of the year. And, you know, obviously he got hurt. And obviously his career isn't where he needs to be. But he's definitely somebody that I would definitely bring back into the fold. And, um, yeah, have that meeting. I agree 100%. That's a call that, that should be made. Let me uh, go to the next question. It's from Erie Raider. His question is, do we know if it's true if the Raiders wanted Mont- Montez Sweat at 27, and is that why Washington jumped them at 26? Which leads to the next question is, do we think Raleigh McKenzie was a leak uh, to his former team, knowing the Raiders were going to release him, and, he already, uh, and they already fired his brother, Reggie? Um, I don't think Raleigh was the leak, per se. I think everybody in the media has people that works for organizations that feeds them information, especially if they're insiders. Assistant GMs, area scouts, college scouts, NFL scouts, nationals, whatever the case may be, um, GMs, whomever. You get information. Do I think Raleigh may have said something? I, I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that. And at the same time, for me to say the, the Raiders have – Montez Sweat listed ahead of Abram? I don't think so. I think they got the guy they targeted. Mm -hmm. And I I think they literally were, okay, well, you know, Washington's not taking Sweat. I think there are some other people that maybe Washington wanted to jump, but I don't think it was the Raiders, per se, to take Sweat. And at this point, it really doesn't matter because they drafted Farrell at four. I don't think they're going to double dip at the defensive end spot in the first round. I mean, they waited till the fourth round to go back and do that. They could have got somebody in the second if they wanted. Right. So, I don't think that that's the case. And I don't think that Raleigh was the leak that was given all the information. Uh, there probably was some other people. And I have an idea who I, I think it is. But there probably there is some other people that um, I know for a fact that either have been or are going to be let go from the Raiders that were the leak.
3: Well, I don't know who, who the leak was. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Raleigh... I mean, I'm sure that was a weird situation anyway, just because his brother was already let go. And I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just weird. You know, it's just a, one of those uncomfortable feelings because you want to have loyalty to the team, but then you also have to want to have loyalty to your family. So uh, that, that was a weird situation. You knew that the writing was on the wall. He wasn't going to be around very long, but what I've always heard is that Montez Sweat wasn't on their radar. It wasn't the guy. The guy that they wanted was the guy that they got. Abram was the guy that they wanted for the jump. So, matter of fact, after they got Jacobs, then they started, after after they celebrated real quick, then they said, okay, let's focus because we want to go get our guy now. We have to worry about our guy being there at 27. So, I don't think that they were ever in on on sweat. They were all on on in on uh, on uh, Abram. So, that I, I think that they were comfortable with that. So, I don't think there's anything to that. I agree. 150%.
2: All right, our last question, and is from our regular Sean Siegel out in Las Vegas, uh, the pizza connoisseur extraordinaire. He says uh, he loved the overall draft from the Raiders, but he wanted to ask us what we thought of some of the undrafted free agents the Raiders picked up. How many of these undrafted free agents do we expect to make the final fifty-three? Which one of these guys do we see making the final cut for the Raiders? I kind of think we already answered that a little bit, Sean. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I'll I'll say I I think. Coney, Ingold, Doss, and Nixon all have legitimate chances. And I would like to see Ali in there as well.
3: Yeah, and I'll go with just two. I'm just going it, to narrow it down to two. I'm going to go with Coney, uh, the linebacker out of Notre Dame. I think that uh, he was a guy that uh, I said earlier in the show, second, third-round draft pick. A lot of people were thinking, and he ends up going undrafted. Uh, he could end up being that alpha dog linebacker that the Raiders are looking for for a long time. You mentioned he might get some playing time early. Uh, I think that's a strong possibility. And then Doss. I think Doss is another steal, man. Those two guys can't believe that they both went undrafted. They did. If they could prove something in training camp and prove their worth and and be a uh, you know more than one trick ponies, man, I could see them getting some early playing time. So if I had to just bet money on the two guys or on guys that I thought were gonna have a shot to make the team as undrafted free agents, I definitely point the finger at both of those guys. And then. Uh, Your boy that's out of uh, Compton, California uh, from South Carolina. Keyshawn Nixon. Yeah, Keyshawn. I'll give him a nod as well just because he sounds like he got some dog in him and the Raiders could never have too many dogs.
2: Well, Q, that is the draft recap extraordinaire, almost three-hour long show that, once again, is on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. We haven't done a long one like this since the first one. The other ones are like two hours. This is a little bit longer, but uh, man, I appreciate you and staying up a little bit later tonight to knock this one out.
3: Yeah, man, it started on the first and it ended on the second. (laughs) (laughs) Only where you are. still the first where I am. Yeah, well, whatever. It it (laughs) don't matter. It's all that matters that it started on the first for me and it ended on the second. So, yeah, there you go. And you wonder why I ain't got no time to watch no damn Game of Thrones. I'm up here talking for three hours. What do you expect? (laughs) I ain't watching no Game of Thrones. (laughs) You know what?
2: When we go to Raiders training camp, (laughs) you're going to have freaking game of thrones watched by them brother i promise you that
3: i doubt it i <laughs> doubt it but uh, it's all good man i'm looking forward to that so we'll definitely make that happen as well yes
2: sir all right folks raider nation we appreciate you for tuning in the q a making this the fastest growing raiders podcast on the internet right now we really appreciate the love thank you again for all the support any questions raiders podcast on sbnation at gmail.com email us it we look forward to bringing you another show next week q Thank you, brother. I appreciate you.
3: All the time, my man. You know how we get down. It's always fun. Yes, sir. For your boy Q, I'm Joe Arrigo. Thank you for listening to Q&A on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network
2: powered by SB Nation.